0: morning. Before I begin, man, I just I just got to say, I love this church. I, I love this church. I love what God is doing here at Pillar. And if you're new, I love you. And you may say, that is really weird. Why, why would you say you love me when you don't even know me? And, and here's the truth. Jesus loves you. And so I love you. And uh, he is the reason why we're here today. Let us jump right into our text today. Our passage is John chapter 19 verses 1 through 16. John chapter 19 verses 1 through 16. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God together? I will read and please follow along. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word and the opportunity once again to delve into it as a family, as a church. The passage before us is hard to read because of what you went through and because of what was done to you. So as we visit this familiar story this morning, help us to see the truth you would have for us to learn. Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds, give us understanding, and help us to live out our faith, beholding Jesus and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated i have entitled today's sermon beholding jesus i have three headings to help us move along through this passage heading number one behold jesus the man heading number two behold jesus the suffering servant and heading number three behold jesus the king so Jesus the man, behold Jesus the man, behold Jesus the suffering servant, and behold Jesus the king. What do I mean by beholding Jesus? I mean that I want the eyes and ears of our hearts to focus on Jesus and what he has done for us. He has lived the life that you and I could not live, died the death that you and I fully deserve. I want us to meditate on that truth I want us to think deeply about his humanity and that he endured horrible torture for us that as fully man he felt pain and anguish And as much as difficult as it is for us to read what was done to our Savior we will never truly understand what he had to endure that morning I want us to think deeply about his selflessness, that he came into the world on a rescue mission, his call sign being the suffering servant. I want us to reflect upon his kingship. We are his servants. So when we behold Jesus, we are thinking deeply on the truths of who he is and who we are in him, because we derive our identity, our very purpose, In Jesus. So when we behold Jesus, we're we're learning, we're growing in our understanding of Him, growing in our affection for Him. When we behold Jesus, we are glorifying God the Father, and we're praising the Holy Spirit. So let us behold Jesus as we get into our passage. Would you look at verses 1 through 5 with me? Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hey, hey, O king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. We find ourselves on a Friday morning, on the sixth day of the week, looking at the Roman governor and his peculiar new prisoner, Jesus. Pilate does not like what is unfolding before his eyes. In fact, he wants no part of it at all. And so in our passage, we observe Pilate desperately trying to get Jesus out of his hands. He wants no part in this whatsoever. And so he brings Jesus in front of his accusers and he says to them, Is this really the man who has caused you so much trouble? I mean, look at this pathetic, frail, and weak man. He's no threat to you, he's helpless. So let us do that. Let us look onto Jesus in this moment. Let us behold Jesus as he stands before the crowd. His skin lacerated and bruised. His head soaked, matted with fresh blood. His torso and legs and feet dripping with more blood. Can you see the bloodied? footprints behind him as he came out from the Praetorium. His body is disfigured from the trauma of torture. The Roman government had a three-tier system in which they scourged their victims. The most severe of these was administered with a leather thong embedded with pieces of metal, and the victims were tied to a post and scourged until their bodies were laid bare, and their entrails were exposed. The idea was to beat them half to death in order to hasten their expiration on the cross. And if that wasn't enough, a crown of thorns was forcefully shoved down onto his head. As blood began to pour down his face, as these thorns pierced his temple. What is the significance of the crown of thorns in Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 and 18 says because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. Thorns were a sign of the curse. Thorns are related to the fall of man and the wages of sin. And we see Jesus taking the thorns on himself. Where the first Adam failed and brought the curse of sin into the world, the second Adam takes the thorns. He takes the curse and he wears it. He takes the thorns for us once for all. Then the soldiers took a purple robe, which was the color of royalty, and and it is wrapped on his raw back, completing their intended look. If anything, Jesus looks like a court jester at this moment. Finally, the soldiers mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, as they strike him in his face. The irony being that they were really doing this to the king of kings. Can you hear this crowd? Would you read verses 6 through 7 with me? Follow along. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. God. Pilate's plan was to satisfy and pacify the Jews by punishing Jesus without putting him to death. But the crowd is not satisfied with just this. They want Jesus to be killed and not just to die, but to die on the cross because they believe that he had committed blasphemy. And so he here we see another irony. Because Jesus is the true son of God who left his throne to come humbly into our world. He chose to be born into a low-income family and he himself would become a blue-collared worker. He didn't choose to be rich and live in a mansion. Rather, he was a wanderer and did not have a home to call his own. When he made his ministry known publicly, his followers expected him to deliver them from Roman oppression. They expected a military leader or an earthly king. Yet he did not come into the world in a blaze of glory or with chariots or horses. No, he came preaching the kingdom of God and gathered his followers from the down and out fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, and other outliers of society. This Jesus now stands before a hostile crowd who wants not only him to die, but to die a death reserved for the worst of criminals. So why all of this? Why all of this? Why is Jesus doing this? Couldn't he have come down... Just appeared out in thin air and, and just go straight to the cross to die for our sins. That would have worked, right? Why did he live 33 years of life without sin and then go through hunger, betrayal, and the heartaches of this world? Why go through this torture? Why go through all this hostility? Why go through all this humiliation? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 reminds us For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For those of us who have been bullied, Jesus understands. For those of us who endured the beatings of an abusive spouse, Jesus understands. For those of us who have been verbally attacked by accusers, Jesus understands. For those who have been betrayed by the closest of friends, Jesus understands. For those who are marginalized and without a voice, Jesus understands. For those who live in poverty, Jesus understands. For those who live with sorrow, Jesus understands. For those who are tempted by power, Jesus understands. For those who are tempted by lust, Jesus understands. For we have a God who not only has compassion for us, but He knows what it is like to be us. He knows what you go through. When you pray out from your suffering, Jesus meets you where you are, and He knows what it's like. And yet He has the power To call you out from your suffering. To give you a better life. A life of hope. A life of freedom. How great is our God that he knows what we go through. How great is our God that not only does he hear you. But he has walked the journey that you are on. When you cry out in your pain. Jesus knows what that's like. When you cry out for justice, Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows what it is like to be rejected. Jesus knows suffering. This brings me to my second heading, Behold Jesus, the Suffering Servant. Would you read verses 8 through 11 with me as you follow along? When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to them, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin." Perhaps Pilate was becoming increasingly aware of the power of the crowd and the multitude and their influence over his career and perhaps even his own life. Or maybe Pilate was afraid because he had never encountered a prisoner quite like Jesus before. We know that Pilate was superstitious from the other Gospels, so maybe he thought Jesus was a divine being, maybe like a demigod of some sort maybe like one of the idols that he believed in. We know for sure that Pilate knew that there was no case against Jesus. Pilate was convinced that Jesus was innocent, but now he's understanding that he cannot simply get rid of Jesus so easily. So to to buy some time, he goes back into the praetorium and asks Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Can you imagine calling on God and not getting an answer back? That is the ultimate judgment. When God no longer answers back. Now as his children, he always answers us. But for those who have hardened their hearts and turned away from God, there will one day be no more chance for them to come near. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Family and friends, for those that are listening as it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Pilate is offended by Jesus and his silence. And so he demands, do you know who I am? Don't you know that I can free you? Don't you know that I can release you? How dare you ignore me? Jesus answered him in verse 11. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus' response is one of authority. God had ordained Jesus to be in this place and at this time. From the foundation of the world, Make no mistake that God is in full control. In fact, the suffering that Jesus went through is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 50 to 53. Let's visit there. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed in what has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty. to come some 700 years before his birth in the book of Isaiah, I want us to see that nothing surprises God. Right. God is not at this moment scrounging up to come up with a plan B because this came out from left field somewhere. God has full authority and is in control of all things that happen. God's sovereignty is over this trial. God's sovereignty is over your life over my life, over all things. We see in the response that Jesus gives, total trust. He trusts in His Father, and this is an example for you and I today. Let us trust God to provide for all of our needs. To the green pastures in our lives, let us trust that He has us in His hands. When we go to the valleys of the shadow of death, Let us trust that He knows where we are and that we are in His hands. You may feel lost, but you're not lost because He knows exactly where you are. What may come, our God is in full control. Let your trust in God remove your fear during times of uncertainty. During times of your trial, let your trust in God give you strength to move forward in faith. Because God is in full control and He's working to make all things to work out for his glory and for our good. Amen. And in this case, Pilate is only able to do as much as God allows him to do. Let's revisit Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Don't miss verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That was God's plan, that was his purpose for Jesus. This was his way of redeeming a sinful people to himself. God permitted, he ordained all of this because Jesus is receiving punishment for our sins. The servant willingly accepts his suffering and his death on the cross. Through the mistreatment and oppression that Jesus received, he does not object to any of it because Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the perfect sinless Messiah that was to come. He is the substitute sufferer who took on our punishment and in our place. And he is willingly going through all of this for you. For your freedom from the bondage to sin. Behold the suffering servant. The one who loved you so much that he gave himself up for you. Behold the one who endured this torture and would later go onto the cross for you. Behold the one who carried the weight of your sin on himself. Behold him and worship him. How can we possibly think that we can add on to this? How can we think that by adding on to our own works that we can earn God's favor? The truth is, Jesus plus nothing Equals our salvation. It is through Christ alone. Through faith alone. Through grace alone. That you and I are saved. Praise God. Jesus is the suffering servant. Let's go back to verse 11. Jesus answered him. You have no authority over me at all. Unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you. Has the greater sin. Therefore he who delivered me over to you. Has the greater sin. Something this is Judas, but it was actually Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish supreme court. They had the greater guilt. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. Yet Pilate, yes, Pilate was guilty, but the leaders of Israel had the greater guilt. Jesus, Jesus is saying that not all crimes are the same, and the greater sin was upon the leaders of Israel because they should have known better. Not all sins are the same. Some sins are greater than others. All sins are not the same because there are sins that are worse than others. The one who has greater knowledge of the truth and rejects that truth has committed the greater sin. And in this case, the religious leaders are committing a worse sin than Pilate. Ignorance does not excuse sin but those with more accessibility to the truth are held more responsible. Read verses 12 through 16 with me. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement, and in Aramaic, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This brings me to my last heading Behold, Jesus, the king. At this point, Pilate has gone to great lengths to release Jesus. But the pressure has become too heavy for him, and he cowards and gives into this mob. Look at verse 12 again. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar." You see, the last thing that Pilate wants to do is to get on Caesar's radar. Pilate, as the Roman governor, had the responsibility to maintain order and discipline. And if word got out that he could not do either one of these, it may cost him not only his job, but possibly his very own life. So in an act of self-preservation, he gives in. He gives up to the crowd. So Pilate once again brings Jesus back out. He sits on his seat to render his final judgment. This is an irony. Pilate is sitting in the judgment seat and giving his final verdict to Jesus, the true uh, judge of mankind. We are told it is the sixth hour. It is still early in the morning. And before he gives his final decision in what to do with Jesus, he says to the mob, Behold your king. And the response from the crowd is, crucify him, crucify him. You can hear Pilate's sarcasm in his response. Shall I crucify your king? Jesus has been mocked. He has been ridiculed. And now Pilate joins in and you can hear the sarcasm in his voice as he tells the crowd to behold their king. And what does the chief priest say? We have no king but Caesar. First, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and then they commit actual blasphemy. Jesus said he was the Son of God, and it was true, and yet they refuse to believe. And they say, We have no king but Caesar. But they they do know the true God of Israel, they do know the mighty God of Israel. Can you see the length that they're willing to go to see Jesus killed? They would rather commit blasphemy than to receive Jesus as their king. And this is the greater sin. They know the truth, and yet they refuse to believe. They're willing to lie to see their agenda become reality. And so Pilate cowers and gives over Jesus to be crucified. Pilate's story is almost as sad as the story of Judas. They were so close. They had the audience of the one true king of Israel, and yet they hardened their hearts, lost their chance to experience the joy of the kingdom of God. Pilate's true heart's condition is exposed. His fear of man, his pride, his heart of stone. Every decision he has made has been made out of self-preservation. His only concern, his own fame, his own comfort, his own reputation, his own glory. Family, don't make the mistake that Pilate made and lose the opportunity to behold Jesus the King. The one who is truly King over all. He is the one who makes our fears fade away. He is the one who who we can entrust our anxiety to. He is the one who can free us from the bondage to sin. So would you do that this morning? If you don't know Jesus as your King, I ask you to answer this question would you be willing at this moment to invite him into your heart as your king there is no middle ground you are either one for one or for the other if you come under his lordship you will be saved from sin and eternal judgment if you do not you will spend your eternity away from god in hell so whether you grew up in church been to church your whole life or came to church later on in life, we all need to personally come under his kingship and his lordship. If you are a Christian today, let us behold our king and echo the words of John the Baptist found in John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let us behold him, our one true king, Let us behold our Savior. As we transition to communion, here are some applications that you can meditate on. Number one, Jesus trusted in his Father during his time of suffering. He models for us how to suffer. What suffering are you going through right now? Think about your own suffering. Number two, in your suffering, would you put your trust in God Provide for all your needs. Number three. Is Jesus your king today? And if you claim that he is. Are you living your life as if you were his servant? Does your lifestyle show that Jesus is your king? What things in your life do you need to dethrone? Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we behold you this morning. We behold you as our king. Would you search our hearts now, Lord, and if there is anything that is keeping us away from you, away from living it truly out in our lives as if you are a king. God, would you you surface those things? Help us to identify those things. Give them over to you right now. Whatever it may be, help us to hand it over to you. For we know that you give us joy that the world cannot give, satisfaction that the world cannot offer us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.